0: Amen. 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 Welcome to the Church of 1122. If you have a straw, and I know you do, why don't you go ahead and grab that, bust that baby out, and uh, we're going to have a little group activity this morning to start our time. Uh, Currently, the ushers are preparing some breakfast smoothies that they're going to be bringing out, and passing up and down the... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No quiche for you. Uh, Hey, grab your straw. We're going to do a little group activity, I think, that will help set the way for where we're going in our time today. So if you have your straw, I want you to grab it, I want you to not think about smoothies, but I want you to close one eye, and then look through your straw like it's a telescope. Just look through it, look around the room, you know. All right, put your straw down. All right, here's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to throw an image on the screen, and I want you to take your telescope straw, and I want you to look through your straw at this image, all right? One, two, three, go. One eye closed, one eye open, looking at the image. All right, on the count of three, I want you to tell me what you see on the other end of your straw. Ready? One, two, three. Candy all right, put it down. I know not everybody saw a candy cane all at the same time, people. Let's try again. The straw's up. Everybody look at the image. Tell me what you see. Ready? One, two, three, go. Well done. Well done, my friends. Well done. All right, you can put your straw down for the time being. We'll be coming back to that in a minute. Here's what's interesting about that experiment, about that little group activity, is that I would contend to us today that this is often how we see the world. We see it through a very limited perspective. Now, this perspective is informed by a great deal of many things Uh, the way we grew up, where we grew up, the culture we grew up in, uh, the most significant points of pain in our life, our parents, all kinds of different influences form our view or our perspective. But what happens over time is that we begin to use our perspective to inform how we live. And we begin to put our constructs of ideas that we have assembled over life and we begin to think that that is how The world is we begin to believe that the way the world is is actually is is how we see the world And what's most important is what we're looking at on the other end And so we build these constructs of perspective by which we can see the world And what we're looking for for most of us is a happy life And we'll move our perspective around to any point at any point in time Until we find something that satisfies our happy itch and then we'll lock on that thing, and that thing will become the most important thing to us. You see, we have a very limited perspective, and here is where that becomes an issue. Is, is not just when we begin to see the world with a very limited view or through the construct of our own ideas, but when we begin to see God through a very limited view. When we begin to take our straw and look at God and believe that this little bit of God is all that there is. Or this little thing that we want God to do that God hasn't done. Or this this small, this small fraction of the person of God. We see it and we lock on it and that's all we become consumed with because we're looking through a straw. So my hope for us today is that I will be able to help break us free from our straws. To help push us beyond the constructs of our worldview, Maybe to stretch our perspectives and see a bigger and better view of God. So you ready? We're going to throw our straws away, I hope, by the end of the time. You may need your straw. But if not, we're going to get get through it. Here's Here's the question we're answering today. How mighty is God? How mighty is God? How big? How strong? How powerful? How immense? How intense? How mighty is God? The prophet Isaiah asked it like this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? You see, from the beginning of time, God has put his might on display. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 say it like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving or hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Inside these five verses is some of the most complex and mind-bending realities that are almost beyond human comprehension. God said, let there be light. And in that utterance, God created an illuminating force that travels 186,000 miles per second. That That is 671 million miles per hour. Let there be light. And he created a force that travels 671 miles an hour. If you were able to move at the speed of light, you could travel around the fat part of the earth seven and a half times in a second. In a second. How mighty is God? He created an illuminating force that travels 671 miles, million miles per hour. But he didn't stop there. Genesis 1.14 says this, that God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. This is the moon and the sun is what Genesis is talking about. And So we're going to take a look at the moon and the sun for a minute and see what God has created in these objects. The moon is approximately 2,100 miles in diameter. It is roughly the size of the United States. The moon orbits at an average distance of 240,000 miles from the earth. Now that seems like a long way, except for the fact that my Honda in the back's got more miles than that on it, right? It's got 267,000 miles on it. So it's really not beyond human comprehension. On the one hand, that seems far, but it's really not incomprehensible. But here's what is incomprehensible. The the moon orbits around the earth in a perfect circle. It only moves millimeters in trajectory over years and years and years on 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 the lane by which it orbits the earth. It moves in perfect clockwork precision. It never misses. It never stops. It never doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The moon always Orbits the earth. I mean, if God went all Bruce Almighty on the moon and lassoed that puppy and pulled it in, if He moved the moon a little bit closer, the sheer force of gravity would crush us. But what doesn't crush us in gravity would cause the tides to raise to such a point that all of the earth's major city centers would be covered in water if the moon moved a little bit closer. How mighty is God? He tells the moon what to do and it does it. He sets the moon in motion and it moves. The sun is a different animal altogether. The sun is 100 times the diameter of the earth. If the sun were hollow, it could hold 1 million earths in it. The sun accounts for 99% of the mass. Of everything in our solar system. It burns at 15 million degrees Celsius. That's hot. It produces energy of 386 billion megawatts. Now I'm going to be honest with y'all. I don't know what a megawatt is. But I know 386 billion of them is a lot of power. That's what the sun does. At first it almost seems Wasteful to create such a a massive sphere just to provide light for the earth. Until we consider this, until we consider that God created the sun just as easy as he created everything else. So how mighty is God? He sets the sun on fire. What about our galaxy? The Milky Way galaxy, that is where we live. You live in the Milky Way. I don't know if you knew that or not. If not, I'm sorry. I don't know where you went to school. But we live in the Milky Way galaxy. In our galaxy, there are over 200 billion stars. The sun is one of the stars. It is one of 200 billion. And it is nowhere near the largest star, not even close. To travel from one end of the galaxy to the other would take about 120,000 light years. So let's do the math. To travel from one end of the Milky Way to the other, you would have to travel 120,000 light years, which is at 670 million miles per hour. According to the Hubble Deep Field Finding, uh, the uh, the Hubble Telescope did this deep field finding uh, experiment some years ago in which they fixed on a point in space near the moon, and they begin to watch it second after second after second after second. Look, side note, if you're ever at home and you're just sitting around, do me a favor, get off Facebook and go to NASA's Hubble Deep Field website and just look at the expanse of the universe. It's mind-numbing. So in this experience, this Deep Field experiment, What they found was that in their findings, they found 10,000 galaxies. 10,000 galaxies. The Milky Way is one. They found 10,000 galaxies in what we know to be 10% of space. So, of all the space that we can perceive, inside 10% of it is 10,000 galaxies. Our galaxy holds over 200 billion stars and Psalm 147:4 says this it says that God almighty determines the number of the stars and he gives them all their names. Now, I I think we give stars pretty crummy names here. That's that's like we name stars like SP2-73-0-4. Like we can't even come up with cool stuff. But you know when God's calling the stars, he's like giving them these these beautiful names that we couldn't even understand. It'd be like Lord of the Rings elvish names or something. I don't know, awesome names. I don't know why those are awesome, I think, but they are. But God is naming the stars. How mighty is our God? He determines the number of stars in the sky and he gives them all a name. Now our solar system, our solar system is like our subdivision in the Milky Way galaxy. It's like our neighborhood. And inside of our, our solar system, there's a group of objects that interact with one another. The fundamental interaction that each object has is this interaction with the sun. The sun is the center of the solar system, and everything revolves around the sun. In our solar system, we have eight planets. Four planets are made of rock and metal, four are made of gas. The gas planets are far larger than the rock planets. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to lean over and tell your neighbor, do we live on a gas planet or a rock planet? Ready, one, two, three, go. Please tell me you got that right. If you didn't get that right, I'm not even going to tell you. I'm going to leave you guessing. You can Google it. There are eight planets in our solar system. There is one star, the sun. There are more than 200 billion in our galaxy, and we get one. There are 173 moons, 560,000-plus asteroids, 3,100 comets, and it is 11.65 trillion miles in diameter. That's our solar system, 11.65 million trillion, I'm sorry, trillion miles in diameter. It would take a little less than two light years to travel the distance of our solar system. But it takes 120,000 light years to cross our galaxy. To scale, our solar system is the size of a quarter. And the Milky Way galaxy is the size of a continent. I want you to get that in your head, right? So imagine that I'm holding a quarter right here in Jacksonville on this stage, I'm holding a quarter. Now think about that quarter in light of North America. That's our solar system inside of our galaxy, which is one of tens of thousands of galaxies. So how mighty is God? Colossians 1 says it like this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, the stars, the sun, the moon, the galaxies, the planets, the solar systems, the rotations, the purposes. In him, all things hold together. So in light of this information, as we talk through the immensity of what God has created and what he sustains and what he holds together, there's really only one appropriate response, which is that, which is that we feel incredibly small. You may be sitting here today and you go, man, that, that's pretty intense. I feel small. Well, it's because you are small. Incredibly small. We are so incredibly small that I think small may actually be too big of a word for what we are. We are very, very small. I think the psalmist says it best when he, he says this. He says, When I consider your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who is the son of man? That you would care for him. Do you catch that last part? Who are we? The, the infinite creator God. The almighty God. Who are we that God would care for us in our smallness? Well, this is who we are. We are very, very small. But we are not insignificant. We are almost of cosmic irrelevance, but we were created on purpose, for purpose, by an almighty God. You were created on purpose, for purpose, by an almighty God. We are an intricately designed network that contains an insane amount of activity. Here's some things that you probably did not know about you. I'm going to let you know who you are. Inside of us, we have more than 100,000 miles of blood vessels. We produce 2.5 million new cells every second. In one square inch of our hand, we have nine blood vessels, 600 pain sensors, 9,000 nerve endings, 36 heat sensors, and 75 pressure sensors. You had no idea how awesome you were, did you? Our heart pumps 1 million barrels of blood during an average lifetime. There is more bacteria in your mouth than the human population of human in Canada. Think about that when you go in for your Christmas smooch. All that bacteria running around in there? Enjoy, my friends. Enjoy. Random fact, our eyes, ears and nose never stop growing. But around the age of 30, the rest of us starts shrinking. Think about that. The universe is ever expanding. It is always getting better, bigger. And we, at the age of 30, start to shrink. Blow your mind if you think about it. You breathe in seven quarts of air every minute. <clears throat> if you yelled for eight years, seven months, six days you would have produced enough sound energy to heat up one cup of coffee. Hercules, Hercules, good job. You're so awesome. You yelled for eight years and got one coffee to warm up. In 24 hours, our blood travels a total of 12,000 miles. That's four times the size of North America. In your eye, there are 137 million light-sensitive cells, and the fluid in your eyes refills itself 15 times every day. The human body has about 230 movable joints, depending on how old you are. <clears throat> Your heart pumps 2,000 gallons of blood every day. And it is estimated that our mind has more than 50,000 thoughts a day. That's who you are. So how mighty is God? King David says it like this. For you, talking to God, for you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, O God. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And so here you are. You are one of about 7 billion people on this planet. Side note, 2.8 billion of those people have never even heard of Jesus. Never even heard of him. You're one of seven billion on the planet you are one of what is estimated to be about 110 billion people who have lived throughout the course of history you are one person sitting in a sitting in an old walmart or a sports bar you're sitting here and you're spinning at about a thousand miles an hour around an eviscerating power known as the sun. And you're breathing in gallon upon gallon of oxygen, and you're pumping gallon upon gallon of blood, thinking 50,000 thoughts a day, which, if we're honest, at least half of those are completely insane. (laughs) 50,000 thoughts a day. That's who you are sitting here spinning at 1,000 miles an hour. Why? Because God Almighty wills it. Because God Almighty has a plan, and you're a part of it. He's got a plan for the stars. He's got a plan for the galaxies. He's got a plan for the asteroids and the comets. He's got a plan for the planets, for the sun, and for the moon. And he's got a plan for me and a plan for you. You see, when you look through a straw and you begin to fix on any one point, and you begin to believe that that one point is the most important thing, then you are trading, you are settling for less than the beauty of God. You are settling for less than the immensity of God, but when we take our straws and we put them down, we put them away and we push out beyond our perspective, and the entire view of God and God's plan begins to come into place, then all of a sudden we really start to gain true perspective. So I would ask you today, is there anywhere in your life where you have lost perspective? Is there anywhere in your life where you have built a construct of ideas that inform your perspective, where you look through the straw and on the other side of the straw you see yourself? Is there anywhere in your life where you've began to to believe that you are actually the most important thing? You see, there's two things that have changed my relationship with God throughout my life, and it has been a lifelong journey. There are two things that have really helped open my eyes to who God really is and what God is really all about. How massive God is. How intentional He is. How mighty God really is. Two things. One. God began to set me free from my straw when He began to show me this truth. And the truth is this, that God is not safe. God is not safe. Now, I don't mean to say that God is not a safe place. Psalm forty-six, one says that God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in trouble. And that is for sure. God is a safe place to run to in our troubles. He is a safe place to go to with our questions. So I was taught as a kid, or at least I assumed and believed, that, that I couldn't ask God big questions because it was wrong to question God. Listen, if he can hold the stars in the sky and he can spin the planets, I promise he can handle your questions. I promise you can, I promise you can work through it with God. There's nothing that God is afraid of. I don't mean to say that God is not a safe place to run to in times of trouble because he is. I don't mean to say that God is not near, because he is near. What better time of year is there to think about the nearness of God than Christmas? When this God, this, this force that holds it all together, left the glory of heaven, came down into this cosmic blip known as earth, and put on human skin and lived the life that we couldn't live, and died the death that was guaranteed for us so that we could spend eternity with Him, that is God choosing to be near to us. God is near. He is with us. God is near. And God is a safe place to go, but God is not safe. What I mean by God is not safe is that God does not fit into our boxes. Our, our boxes. He doesn't fit into our categories of control. No matter what we try to shape God up as, no matter what we try to form him to be, he is bigger than all of those things. God's nature just does not fit into our constructs and into our boxes. My favorite books of all time are the Chronicles of Narnia, written by C.S. Lewis. These are children's books. I love them. My daughter, my oldest daughter is six years old. I've tried to read the first one with her about seven times already and it just hasn't taken. But I am praying that God will make a way for us to dig into the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia is a a children's book and there's some main characters which are these kids. They travel to this foreign land known as Narnia where there is a king and the king of this land is known as Aslan. And Aslan is a lion. And, And inside the book, There's an interchange between two of the children who are the main characters and the Beaver family who helped them along the way. And they begin to have this conversation about who is this king? Who is this lion named Aslan? And this is how the conversation goes. The little girl's name is Lucy and her sister's name is Susan. And this is what Lucy says. She says, well, is he a man? Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. "'I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the king of the beasts? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion. "'He is a great lion.' "'Oh,' said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' "'Well, that you will, dearie. "'Make no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver.' If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else they're just silly. Well, is he safe? asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Of course he isn 't safe, but he 's good he 's the king. I tell you when we stare into the immensity of God, just like this little girl, she said, "I can only stand before God, and i can 't imagine standing before the king without my knees knocking. Of course, of course, I learned this firsthand a few years back. I was on a trip to africa i 've been to Africa many, many times and I'd been there for a few weeks, and we were on the back end of a, a, a lot of ministry, and we were tired, and so we had the opportunity to go and take go on safari in the Masai Mara, which is on the, it's this huge game reserve on the on the edge of Kenya, and there's all these animals, beautiful animals. It's a beautiful place. There's there's uh, giraffes and elephants and leopards and cheetahs, and there's all kinds of just awesome stuff we're riding around in our van and we got the pop top and so we're up and we're taking pictures and we're cruising along and then all of a sudden we roll up on these babies we roll up on a pride of lions and i'm looking at these lions and i'm like oh how cool you know it's like lions in their own natural environment we're starting to take pictures and everybody's so excited and then all of a sudden one of my buddies i hear this sound i hear the door hatch pop. And I hear him slide the van door back. And he goes to get out of the van. To start to take a picture. And he, what he wants to do is to get a better, uh, a, a better angle by which to get his favorite selfie. You know? With a lion. And so he gets out of the van and everybody loses their mind. Our guide Starts screaming. The ranger holds, uh, holds the AK-47 out of the roof and starts popping off rounds. Everybody's freaking out. I'm sure they're saying blessings in Swahili. Whatever they were saying was it was intense. And I grabbed my buddy and I pulled him back in. Because as soon as everybody started hollering, you know what happened? This big daddy stood up. He stood up and he let out this roar that would shake your soul. I grabbed my buddy by his head, headlock and all. I grabbed him in there, and I just started beating him. To, I didn't. I didn't. But, boy, I wanted to. What's wrong with you, man? Where do you think we are? Do you think we're at the zoo? Do you think there's a big old bulletproof piece of glass in between us by which the lions can't come through? You are not at the zoo. This is not your world. You are in his world. You want to get out and slap a lion? What are you doing? What are you doing? You see, sometimes I think we get confused. We think the lion is in our world when the truth is we're in his. We're in his. You see, we are not the center of God's universe. God is for us, and he proved that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He is for us, but he is not about us. We are not the point. And there's so much freedom in that. We are not the point. You see, when we begin to live like we are the center of the story, when we are the object on the other side of the straw, when we begin to to live as though we are before all things, we are first, we are getting things crazy out of order. That's when things really start to get messed up. And so what we do in light of who God is, how mighty he is, is we have to remove ourselves from the center of the story and put God in the center. We remove ourselves from being before all things and we put him before all things. We say, God, we are not first. You are first. You see, we are created to revolve around God, just like the planets revolve around the sun. It actually only works one way. You see, we were created to revolve around Him. When the loves of our life, when the the affections of our soul find their gravity and orbit around God, then all of a sudden, things that were incredibly limited and dark begin to be seen more clearly. I want to say that again. When our soul's affections begin to find their gravity and orbit around God, All of a sudden, things that were incredibly limited become very, very clear. Isaiah 55 says it like this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. Hebrews says it this way, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, But also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, it indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. He shakes the earth and the heavens with his voice. He is a consuming fire. He is a mighty God. If he can shake the heavens with his voice, if he can consume the world with fire, if he can sustain the universes, if he can hold it all together, I'm pretty sure he can handle me and you. I'm pretty sure he's got it. So parents, I'd ask you this. What picture are you painting of God for your kids? Maybe you're not a parent. I would ask you, what picture are you painting of God with your life? Are you painting a big, bold, beautiful picture of the God of all created things? Are you settling for less? What picture are you painting? You see, I grew up with this. This gift known as my dad. And my dad painted for me this really beautiful picture of God my whole life. Big. Faith-inspiring. Awe-inspiring God. That's what my dad did for me. It would happen in times like this. My dad and I, we'd be riding down the road in his busted old Toyota. And he'd just lean over and he'd ask me this question. One time he asked me this question. He said, Ryan, if God called you to the remote mountains of Nepal to live as a missionary, and you didn't know the language, you didn't know the culture, and you didn't understand what was going on, if God called you there, would you go and would he be enough to sustain you? I was 11. (laughs) I was 11 when that onslaught started, right? I was 11. And from the time that I could rationalize, I'd be like, you know what? I reject the question. I reject the question and the premise on which it's asked. And you know why I do that? Because I don't have a good answer. Because it's real easy for me to think that this is all about me. It's real easy for me to live like I can fill me up, like I got it all figured out, like somehow I'm holding it all together. Another interaction with my dad one time we were reading the story of Abraham and Isaac in the Old Testament. And I asked my dad this question. Dad, would you sacrifice me if God told you to? I'm going to play this out for you. So this is me. This is my dad. All right. Me? Dad. All right. Dad, would you sacrifice me if God told you to? God wouldn't do that because that's why he sent Jesus as the final sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But would you sacrifice me if God told you to? He wouldn't. Okay. Would you? He wouldn't. Would you? Of course I would. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> you see, I think one time I said one more story. My dad, when I was in college, I called my dad up on the phone and I say, Dad, here's the deal. I feel like God's calling me to drop out of school. You heard that one before? God's telling me to drop out of school and go serve in the streets of Calcutta, India. I'm going to go. I'm going to work at this place called House of the Dying, and that's where I'm going. Dad, I'm dropping out. I'm going. And this is what my dad says to me. Where do I send the check, and are you coming back? Where do I send the check, and are you coming back? You see, I think my dad had some figured, figured some things out. My dad had it figured out that God is not safe, but he is good that God may at any time call me and you to the most unthinkable and most difficult tasks with little regard for our safety, comfort, or well-being. In fact, I believe that we most often miss God because we are consumed with our safety, our comfort, and our well-being. It is often wrongly said that the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I say that's a load of malarkey. In my experience, the closer I get to what God has purposed for me, the more it costs, the more sacrifice that has to be made, the more risk that is involved, and the more faith is demanded. You see, he names the stars. He holds the planets. He purposes our days. He knows the number of hairs that we have on our head. He knows when we come and when we go. He knows what the stars are supposed to do. He sets the sun on fire. Who to say god is not going to call us to the most radical most unbelievable but most unthinkable tasks at a whim he'll call us to anything anytime because he can and because he has a plan and a purpose hebrews eleven six says this without faith it is impossible to please god so let me ask you this church how big are you praying how big are your prayers Are you praying to little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Christmas Jesus? Or are you praying to the God of the universe? What big thing are you asking God to do? What big thing are you asking God to use you to do? How big are your prayers? You see, in this world, everybody's operating by faith. It's just better when you do it on purpose and your faith is in the God of the universe. So the first thing that's helped me put down the straw is, Realizing that God is, God is not safe. He does not fit inside my boxes of control. And the second thing is this, that God is not silent. This idea that God is not silent has helped me grab a bigger and a better view of God. God is always speaking. God has a lot to say. If I had to sum up the message of God... All that God is boldly declaring in the universe. All that he says through his word. I mean how beautiful is it that the God of the universe gave us his word so that we could know him. So that we could know his mind and what he thinks and what his purposes are. If I had to sum sum up the purposes of God as revealed in creation and as revealed through his words. If I had to sum up what he was saying, when he painted the expanse of space with stars, when he placed the moon in orbit, when he lit the sun on fire, when he spun the earth like a top, when he set the Milky Way galaxy in motion, when he uttered the galaxies into existence, when he put his mouth on the nostrils of humanity and he breathed life into us, when he knit us together in our mother's womb and numbered our days, when he counted the hairs on our heads and touched our hearts to make us alive, when he left the heavens to come to this earth and rescue us from this sin-soaked, straw-like existence, he did all this to say one thing. His message is loud, his message is clear, and his message is the same to me and to you to everyone. And so if we could just shut down the noise, if we could just throw away the straws, put ourselves to the side and look at who God is and think about God, not, what, not just what we want from God, but about who He is. If we could lay the straws down, I believe we could tune our ear to the anthem of God's creation. And we would see that all this wonder and all this beauty and all of this power and all of this might is saying one thing. And it's God say, I am glorious. I am more beautiful. I am more powerful. I am bigger. I am more mighty. I am better than anything your world has to offer. I am glorious. I pray that God would help us see him as the glorious God that he is today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are glorious. You are above all things. You are before all things. Father, I pray that you would help us to lay down our straws and to see a bigger and better view of who you are. Because I know when we look at you, Father, that you, in light of your glory, Father, we will be transformed by the work of your Son through the power of your Spirit. So, Father, I pray that today you would help us be free from the constraints of this world and to help us see a bigger, more beautiful view of how glorious you are. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name, amen. Amen. If you would stand with me, we're gonna respond to the good news of God. We're gonna sing to a big God. We respond here at 1122 a couple of different ways. We respond through singing, by declaring God's worth and fame. We respond by giving, which is uh, giving boxes and kiosks are all around the room. We give our first and our best to God because he gave his first and his best to us in Jesus Christ. And then we respond through prayer. I would invite you to come and to pray and pray something big. Pray something bold. I promise God is listening and that he is near. Let's respond to him together.